I remember us banging our heads against the wall with the cut. Like, okay, that's not working. That's not working. That's not working, right? But at a certain point, we got to that September 30th cut. And I remember that because it was my mother's birthday, September 30th. And I remember seeing that cut and going, I think this is good. Uh, and, the, and the girl, the daughter of the DP saying, yeah, that was good. And then 50,000 notes coming at me. <laughs> how about how to change it? Did they, wait, so did the studio see that cut? I don't think so. And if they did, they saw only parts of it. <sighs> I think they saw like parts of it. So, and even if they had seen it, it wasn't a cut that you could release with a PG rating. So all that stuff would have come out. Why did they change it to PG? I think in, so it was originally supposed to be PG-13. I remember, that's why I signed on. And that's why I did too. I said, this isn't going to work if it's not PG-13. It has to be. And the studios agreed. And they said, yes, it's going to be PG-13. That's why we kept our little romantic comedy edge. Our little flirtations. Your flirtations, the sed- seductiveness of it. Mm-hmm. The, all of when that. When she's like, when she said this, get up. Get, get that up. was not get in up. the movie, was it? <laughs> that was not in the movie, was no, it? No, that's not. Not only is that not in, none of Damn. that. None of that so scene. Good. Is, Trailers so no, good. None of that scene is in the movie. Not, the <sighs> only part is you waking up. That's it. So it goes from, so in the, in the so you, you do this. That's sort such of, a charming moment that she you do does. This, you do this kind of euphoric tour de force and it's empowering the women right and then party scene is so much better in this cut and in the and in the and in this cut you come home you say honey i'm home and it's like a 1950s tv show right Mm -hmm. you got a giant pipe and all of a sudden you jump on her we push in we do this crazy sperm sequence the chariots of fire and handel's messiah right and then it comes out and it's the next morning and she wakes up and she's all frisky with you right and she's like, come on, come on, get on, get on. <laughs> she's like, well, who was that masked man with me last night? You know, and then it cuts to you walking down the hall and people going, you were off, that was off the chain, bro. Like people recognize that you were the guy who did that. And you're like, what? And then you walk in to Daniel Moss's office. You've been invited to the second floor, to the top guy in the whole studio, and you're going to get your shot. All of that flows. All of the stuff between the end of the party and her being frisky with you is gone from the movie. All that happens is you come home, you go, honey, I'm home. You jump on the bed and it cuts to the next morning and then you go to work. And oh my God. that is the entire premise of the movie removed from the movie, right? The premise of the movie is the baby's born of the mask. I mean, the, 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 the conceptual premise is a baby is born of the mask. And the comedic way that that is delivered is gone from the movie. Why? Because it was PG and they couldn't do that because they didn't want kids asking their parents, what are those green things? (laughs) Which I can understand, I suppose, even though they're ridiculous and they're... But it's also like a a kind of a great lesson of like early like birds and bees. (laughs) If they're learning about it in junior high. Birds and bees, right. So, you know... My point being that you couldn't, and I think they actually did release that scene in Europe, but not in the U.S. So, look, regardless, PG-13, that wouldn't have been an issue. And PG-13, you would have had the layers of the flirtation between you and Tanya, and you would have had the layers of all of that. You would have had, um, you know, the sense in the film that 
that it was that an adult could watch it and enjoy it and be entertained by it. I don't think an adult is necessarily entertained by the cut that was that ended up being released, but I think an adult can watch this movie and laugh and be entertained. So. Would you consider me an adult? You? Yeah, <laughs> I watched myself on that, and I wasn't. I you know watched myself for a little bit, but then I stopped watching myself, and I was just watching the movie. Yeah, and I was like. Well, you you had a very, you had a very difficult thing to do, which is like you said, play a man child is not ready to grow up, but you have to be a man too. And you had to then slowly unravel and become insane or be driven insane. Mm -hmm. And it tracks now. That's what I'm saying. In this cut, in, in the movie that was released, I don't remember it tracking at all. People trashed me. And, and it's because... They just think I was just doing a big... It, it, you were mugging. It, yes, it's exactly why Why it was a perfect storm for trashing. Because what you just said, they were literally like, just, it's like, it's like doing, uh, you know, I, I did one of my first impressions. I used to do, you know, it's a simple impression. I used to say, is Eddie Murphy going to the ATM and realizing there's no money in his account. And he just went, Hey! <laughs> so but see with the setup you right. laugh but if right. i just went hey right you wouldn't right there's no right that's right so the whole movie is right. me just doing right. that right and they're like oh and since it was born of jim carrey right oh he'll never meet he'll never match up he could never do right. that although so you know i i never was trying to be nor could i be but i had my own show that showed yeah. my own style of comedy right. and what so that then they go oh that's him trying to be jim carrey and mug and it's terrible right. and all it is is them taking just the, the burnt ends right of the roast right and that's it they left out all the meat and exactly now i'm not a mug right Right. In your movie. Right. It, I have big moments. Right. But, you know, I'm a man child that slowly goes insane. I'm the straight man that gets a l- little crazier. And then he's the loving guy. That scene with the baby, I'm always proud of that. Right. That was a beautiful scene. Yeah. The washing. And then at the end, I'm a normal guy. Right. It does I grow feel, up. You feel like you grew up. Yes. Know? And that's what the, and you what figured, the movie is you, supposed you, to be. We had an arc. You figured out how to find balance in your life. And that comes through in this cut. Yes. It comes through. I remember, I remember directing the scene with you and, and trailer at the end where you're sitting on the couch watching your show. And was that, was that, hold on. Was that scene? Was that scene when you were directing me and trailer at the end of the show, at the end of the movie? Yeah, the scene at the end. That's another wonderful thing you did. You directed a lot of the movie kind of in sequence. Yeah. Which no, was, no, when we directed it? No, I don't remember. I don't remember if that okay. was at the end. So go ahead. But I'm just saying it's the scene at the end of the movie. And I remember doing it and thinking, you know, instinctively it feels like the way we're doing it is right. But I don't know if it's going to work. Like, I don't know if you're going to feel the arc of this guy now coming to a point of comfort in his life where he's balanced, managed his balance. And that plays in this cut. And I was 
like pleasantly surprised. I was like, wow, that really does play. Like it's not artificial. It feels earned. You know, it, it, it felt correct. And here's the other thing that's really weird about this movie. The production design is intentionally um, inspired by Chuck Jones' 50s cartoon. Totally. It's incredible. And what's interesting is that finding the balance between, because what, what could we have done? We could Award just, winning. We could have stuck you in a regular looking house with a regular, you know, contemporary house from 2004, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And I thought it would be it would be good to take it to another level and have it have the tech whole texture and backdrop of the movie be inspired by that aesthetic, and then vary it based on that as the baseline. And that's what you get. And so the prop department in Australia was unbelievable. I mean, you can go back into this movie and look at every scene and see props in there that they designed specifically, especially when the mask is involved or when it's the Loki. Loki. That's what I'm saying. Just, just his artist. His towel on the beach. Yes. His custom design. His uh, Otis, um, Otis and Venus having hot dogs together. I mean, they, they built a whole mini set. And it was logical because it was inspired by the magic of the mask and the magic of the gods. So it made sense. It was logical. Heightened. I mean, he's wearing a Hugh Hefner robe with, <laughs> with a gold, you know, lame collar or something. I don't know what it is. But it was literally, it was literally every, every beat, there was sort of a rich textural backdrop. And that's what you get when you watch this cut of the movie. It feels like... The whole thing is an homage and it works emotionally and it comes full circle and he learns a lesson and there's sort of this meta thing where the, at the end he puts together the two parts of his life in balance and the entire movie was a metaphor for being able to do that but writ large with this sort of insane dramatization, insane comedic dramatization of the of that conflict. You know, it, 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 I, it's exactly what you said. I wanted to add to it. Like, the, I remember the props. The props was just another, like I said, like it's an amazing department. Like, yeah. just like ILM, just like Greg Gardner, just like our wardrobe. Our wardrobe was incredible. Yeah. Our makeup when Alan when the when the gun goes off in his perfectly smoked right. you know and then when that when the bomb went off the grenade and how it was blown out so perfect and right. the, the suitcase I remember those guys on the hard way the, the, the detail literally God is in the details right. and that's I believe that everyone on this movie was a perfectionist yeah. there was no slouches we knew what we had to live up to yeah and the, that that's why it, it it was so painful because people just wrote it off yeah with the stroke of a pen not knowing what went into it yeah i mean when you watch it i remember this was my feeling okay when i watched the cut before it was going to be released and i was a professional to the end you know making mm-hmm. sure it was polished and it was the craftsmanship i thought i watched the cut of the movie I didn't think it was funny the way it should have been. And I didn't think it was charming the way it should have been. But one thing I thought was it's very accomplished in terms of craft. Yes. Right. And then I thought, well, if I'm, I put myself in the mindset of a viewer paying eight bucks at the time to go see this movie, 10 bucks and thinking, look at this craft, but I'm not laughing and it's not charming. 
not thinking that, experiencing that. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge cognitive dissonance between the stuff you're seeing appear on the screen and the feeling you're getting watching it. When the stuff you're seeing put on the screen from a craft perspective is all the way up there. I mean, it's at the level of, you know, whatever was at, at the time. I actually heard, and I don't know if this is true. 100%. I heard that the Wachowskis liked the film or were or admired the film. And it's quite possible that they saw it. I don't remember. Wow. Or admired admired the, the, the filmmaking style or something. I heard this. I, I don't know if it's true. Wow. But I can imagine it because they take risks and they do things that are, you know, taking a risk means that you could go out there, you know, you know, if they hadn't made the Matrix before they made Speed Racer, wh- what would we, <laughs> right? You mean if they made Speed Racer first? First. Right. Who made Speed Racer? They did. Oh. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying the Matrix was the defining movie. Mm-hmm. You make the Matrix and you get to make 20 more movies. 19 of which could fail, but you still made the Matrix. Mm-hmm. So, and imagine if there had been interference in the Matrix. And they didn't have the ability to put together their vision the way they did. And they had quite a vision. I mean, they had a whole uh, graphic art of the entire movie beforehand. Every shot, everything. I mean, that movie's incredible. I went back and saw it recently. And I just thought, what a seminal, transformative film in the history of film. And it's only getting better. Pardon? And it's only getting better. If you watch it, it just... Oh, it's only getting better, yeah. Yeah, it feels so transformative. It feels like... um, like uh, like when you talk about film from previous eras, you talk about, oh, there's Casablanca or there's, you know, The Graduate, mm-hmm. you know, or there's, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Jaws, you know, E.T. Oh, The Matrix is up there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Larry, do you know what, is, what you just said was so, was so great was that, oh, Oh, something about the filmmaking of it. Oh, this is what this is what I'm thinking about when I watch it. All those things, and then I'm thinking of like how it was exactly. It was an it had Tim Burton esque moments, and but it had your own style. Right. I mean, you are a big animation and CGI guy. But yet your stuff is never hollow if they watch all of your work. You know, your which one is it's head. What was the uh, headless headless? <laughs> and then, you know, you did a lot in ants. Right. But the battle, the termite battle sequence. Yeah. And and cats and dogs. I mean, that wasn't totally your baby. Or what, but you went in and put your mark on it. I mean, that was something yeah. you were hired on, no right? Pun, no pun intended. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, but. I mean, I directed it. Yeah. Yeah. But like the other things you helped conceive. And this thing you were conceiving. All we had was the bones of the world. And then we had this humongous figure to step out of the shadows. And we weren't trying to equal it. We weren't trying to, we weren't trying to better it or deny it. We were respecting it and make it our own. And even if it just went 60%, but it went 60% the other way, yeah. we would have got in another bite at that apple. It's a very hard, well, yes. So what I was going to say is. And our working relationship could have been Burton 
Right. I'm serious. Right. Like, cause I, you know how we work together. It yeah. took a little while for us. We always really liked each other, but yeah. it, we, we took a little while to figure out how to work together. And once we did, it was fucking on. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things. One is there's a, th- one of the a deep, our DP on uh, director of photography on cats and dogs said to me, you know, there's a thin line between beautiful and, Ugly, he would say. Something like that. That was his phrase. I can't remember. The point being that you're pushing and you're stretching, right? If you're, not, if you're not pushing and stretching, you'll never reach something great. But if you push and stretch and you break a little bit, it can all tumble down and it can be bad. And especially if you're not in control and it just kind of spins out of control. So you have to kind of find that balance between, it's like controlled chaos, they talk about it, right? They talk about it when you're on the set. You want to be able to know your shots. You want to be able to know where the scene is going. You always did. You know, you always want to do that. But at the same time, you want to leave a little room for the magic and the the alchemy of the performance suddenly going somewhere or something happening that's unexpected in order to create surprising moments for the audience as well. So there's this sort of balance between control. The audience wants to feel, I mean, it depends what kind of film it is, but in a traditional narrative film where an audience is carried along and it comes to some sort of catharsis at the end of the film, you want to carry them along and you want to um, have them feel like they're in the hands, in, in good hands. Capable it, hands. Capable hands as they're going through the film. And then occasionally you want to surprise them with stuff which is totally unexpected, but still inevitable from the story. Unexpected, but inevitable. And that's one of the things I really love about good actors. Trailer's a great example. I mean, she took some moments. I, when I go back and look at it now, I think, wow, she really did a bunch of stuff in that film to ground the character in reality, but also give a comic twist to her reactions that played. Very good. She's super, super, super subtle. Yeah. And, but so good. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't always see it when you have actors like that. You don't see it necessarily even on the set because you're standing at a distance and they're doing little things with their face and their face is going to be big on the screen. And so you, you get it afterwards and you see it. You're like, wow, look what she did to sort of externalize, hide some emotion maybe and try to control it. But it comes out a little bit and it's so subtle, but you know as the viewer because you you watch faces since you're a baby, so you know, you, you pick up on the smallest things, right? And that's what a good actor knows. A good actor knows knows how to how to do a little bit and evoke a feeling in the viewer. Mm-hmm. You know. And you guys worked well together. Mm-hmm. When you did it. You know, you, you worked really well together. I I loved working with her. I'm just thinking about, you know, <laughs> I want to ask you this. I remind me, I got to ask you about what's in the movie. Yeah. But I feel like I always, because just took the movie away, and I'm, people always question my choice, and I. <laughs> I'm telling you, you right mean now. Back then, or or afterwards? Afterwards, I see. Because of what people are saying, and well, was, the, the reason they question we were, your choices when we were doing it, I knew it was, could work. Right, I'm not crazy. Right, it's a very right, and it's a very strong now, feeling. That's a feeling I got too. I'm like, okay, vindicated to the extent that we did have something that worked. It would 100. percent And right. if we got our release date, 
And I'm thinking about what other big, it's like I was, Jamie Kennedy is a fun, lovable, it had a, not, I'm not saying I am, but it had a Will Smith fun, like you can put him, I'm not going to be too edgy or, you know, too goofy. And it's, it's, it's a nice, like he's, he's digestible for like family friendly stuff. And then you could, that could have got another action adventure movie. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking of the movies. Right. Shit. Look, you can't look. Well, I want to, I want to sit and do it all night. Yeah. No, but I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying you, (laughs) I'm going to sit here and I'm says, I get it. Like the feeling I got was, okay. I, I just moved on after the movie. It's too painful to think about. I did have get in that pain. I did. I did meet. I remember John Davis, the producer, telling my agent, "Yeah, I like what Larry does filmmaking wise. I like what he does with the camera. Um, Let's come in and meet on. I don't remember the movie. It might have been one of the sequels to Garfield or something like that. Yeah. But, but, and I do know that I was always supported. I was supported by Toby Emmerich at the time, the president of production. He was, he was supportive. I remember him talking to my agent after the." The movie came out and saying, yeah, we do, we do. I mean, I think he felt like there's a lot of talent in the film. And unfortunately, for various reasons, it didn't, you know, things didn't come together. Probably would, might have a similar analysis of what, of what we had, you know, in terms of like maybe because of the rating or maybe, because, you know, you never know. It's, it's not an easy job being the president of production, figuring out how to make this stuff work. This is, Mm-mm. you know, he's a very smart guy, charming Clearly. guy, and, a, and, a, and a, really, a really good guy, I think. And he's been there a long time. I, it has to be to be so, there that long. It's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, I just think, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it's a high stakes game too, right? Like, like these are very expensive things to make, right? It's an $84 million business. Right. But what's my, my question is why, first of all, I got to ask you what was in the movie, but before that. Yeah. Why didn't the movie make more money than it was reported? Well, I don't know if it made more money theatrically, but it definitely made quite a bit on DVD and whatever other ancillary uh, streams of revenue that, that, you know, it was uh, featured on, you know, whatever ancillary platforms. But... um, that that's for sure because uh, you can tell from the residuals right you can tell what how it's doing and it did on the on the dvd side it did for quite a while as well as cats and dogs did for me i know that um but you know it uh i, I don't remember what it made worldwide like almost 60 million yeah something like that but you know that that's uh that wasn't enough but but on on the ancillary revenue i'm i'm guessing it do you, made its money back but do, that's just a do you think yeah they said well there's talent here but they never i never worked there again you what i never worked there again at new one you mean mm-hmm. you know like I said, it's a people. People can throw darts from a distance, right? But they don't know what it. 
you know, people don't know what it takes in the film business or in the entertainment. And that business is changing now. It's changing so much. But this movie I'm looking at right, right. now, if right. you were to put this. And we'll talk off camera what you want to yeah. talk about. But yeah. if you were to. Tope, Tope has this. Do you know what Topaz is? You must know what that is. The program? Yes. Uh-huh. Topaz makes things look 6K, 8K. Oh, okay. Now, I just did it with a project that was an hour and 12 minutes, old project of mine that I got yeah. the rights to, and it took three weeks yeah. of AI doing what we were talking about off camera. Yeah. But right. it looks, something that was shot in 2010 looks like it was shot in 2025. Right. Right. This is what Topaz does. Yeah. So I got it because I got a guy like you who's a super tech guy. Yeah. I don't even know if this... I was talking to a friend in the studio. He doesn't even think they use it as much yet. Right. So the Topaz up-resing right. with AI. Yeah. Well, not only it's up-resing, but you could do like... Uh, we you could use AI to, to, to make adjustments to the effects and stuff if you wanted to. And, you, and it would be much cheaper than it was back then. I know. And what I'm saying is what was in... The movie. And this? This the, the, I felt like I was watching it. I was like, oh, this is familiar. And then I felt like, oh, that played out nicely. Yeah. Now, we just watched it on a TV, yeah. okay, with a VCR. Right. And it wasn't a huge screen with TV sound. And I was captivated. Yeah, and it's actually very low-res cut. Right? A super low-res cut. And I'm still like, well, and I'm going... What it, it it also it also had a uh, 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 Roger Rabbit esque. Right. It also had. I always said Monkey Bone is an underrated movie. Yeah. It had Monkey Bone elements in it. It had adventurous moments like the Mummy, right? And which I always think are those like fun big what I call Spielbergian dangers, where they're not dark dangers, but they're right. just enough to go ooh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like something that would scare you in high school. Yeah, right. You know, and, you know, Poltergeist is actually scarier than you would think, but at the time it was just enough fear. Right, right. You know? Right. And so there's an ominous in the movie, but it's light, but it's beautiful. And as I'm watching it, I'm going, well, I knew the filmmaking craft got screwed over. So that was nice to see that there. And I know the editor's cuts got screwed over. And I'm like, that was nice. But then I'm like, oh, my God. Like, the CGI looked like it got to play out more. And scenes got to breathe. And really what I see is this backstory. And I feel like, oh, my God, the sperm, that's there. Uh, like Like I said, the bedroom scene. Right. I think the frog thing and the bam bam thing was much more played out and stretched in this. Right. And and the him on the shoulder. Ah, right, ah, right, right. Ah. That was that was different. Yep. This and and then I felt the Alan bedroom was different. Right. And Alan conjuring him up more. And Alan had this great arc with his father. And I'm like I'm like, wow, this movie is familiar, but totally different. Totally different. And I'm and, like, uh, that's what I was going to say Jesus earlier. Christ. That, 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 that's why I said the thing between beautiful and, and ugly or between good and bad. <sighs> like the difference between something, you know, you aim for great and you're hitting it 
and you get into something really good and then you take a left turn because like i said there's thousands of things okay so yeah when you say oh yeah that movie was really good what are you really saying thousands of decisions were made that were 100 percent correct if you ever watch a good example of this is little miss sunshine little miss sunshine great movie mm-hmm. there's a couple deleted scenes on the dvd and you watch the deleted scenes with steve carell with Alan Arkin, with all these amazing actors, with the kid from later on who did There Will Be Blood, right? I forget his name. Paul Dano. Uh, Paul Dano. All these amazing actors, and you understand why they cut those two scenes out of the movie. Why? Because they weren't perfect. And the rest of the movie was damn near perfect, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And by not perfect, I mean they play... But there's something small, slightly awry in the performance or in the pacing. And it's small. It's not like, that's terrible. It's like, that's just not great. And so when you go see a movie, you just want to be entertained, right? And you don't want to think about, but, but what goes into making the film are thousands of decisions. And if you go in and mess with enough of those decisions, or even a couple of them, like if they didn't have that moment in Dumb and Dumber where he's crying, it doesn't play. Now, you got a whole movie. Imagine if he never did The Mask, Jim Carrey never did The Mask, and he never did Ace Ventura, and the only movie he did was Dumb and Dumber, and that movie didn't play. Mm-hmm. Because you weren't connected to him emotionally in the beginning of the film and his journey, even though it's an insane movie and it's insanely funny. Then that's it. There's no legend of Jim Carrey, right? Mm-hmm. You take something that, that requires a kind of a handcrafted attention to detail and you start to mess with it too much and you change the rating and you strip out layers that make it work because you need the counterpoint, you need the irony, you need the deadpan, you know, um, you know, c- c- counteract, to counteract the, you know, the absurdity of it or whatever. And then it doesn't work just uh you know and 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 what goes into these movies i mean all the time it's the politics of making i mean you got a lot of money at stake the people who are putting their you know they're investing in you to kind of create something great it's hard to tell if it's great because the effects aren't done so you're kind of you're kind of spinning plates right mm-hmm. a lot a lot of plates simultaneously and they have to kind of believe that it's going to come together and then, while you're spinning the plates, they decide to rip out some of the sticks called PG-13. <laughs> and now you're scrambling to catch the other plates, hoping they don't crash into the ground. You know, it's hard. It's the equivalent of leaving out in carbonara. Do you know anything about making pasta carbonara? No, but that's okay. It's a five ingredient dish Okay It's best if you make the noodle fresh Which you can with just some flour and water Right Egg Olive oil Belly fat bacon And Parmigiano And a little bit of another cheese Now When you make that dish Gordon Ramsey will say, if you make it too much, you'll have wonton soup. 
because <laughs> it becomes an egg dish. So you have to gently splash the water. It's 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 a metaphor for exactly what you're saying, an allegory of life. That if you don't put the right amount of pasta water in it as the bacon fat is rendering down, yeah. it becomes hard-boiled eggs and spaghetti. <laughs> right. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting. But if it's made with the right amount, the temperature, and you do it at the right time with the right consistency of the egg yolk and the Parmigiano cheese, yeah. it then becomes a rich sauce. Right. That all you need is chili flakes on top and there's you don't even know the egg is in it. Right. But that takes what? Right. Watching the stove, knowing the temperature, knowing how much pasta water and you have to I, I cooked it a lot when I was right. when we had the lockdown. And it's a fine art. And you, right. and it doesn't you can watch as yeah. much YouTube as you want. You have to practice it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. Like it's a metaphor of life. Just five ingredients. Right. Any one of them don't line up properly. It doesn't work. You have wonton soup. Right. <laughs> and that's, yeah. it's. Yeah. I mean, any, any filmmaker, you know, will tell you exactly what you, what you just said. And that's why I admire, you know, a film like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy or a film like, like many of the Marvel movies find a wonderful balance between the ones that are funny between comedy and uh, uh, Taika YTT's, you know, Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. is great, and you know, finding that balance between the comedy and the drama, moving it forward, and and the effects and so forth, and you you need to have a kind of um, you need to put faith in the filmmaker and the artist and the artists in general to pull the thing together. 